And I think uh, Ryan should count us in on this one. Can you see, Tom, it says Paul is recording? Yep. Under GDPR rules, I don't care. So, um, <laughs> Ryan, would you, please? Five. Four. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to another E5 podcast. I am one of your hosts. My name is Paul Meenan, and I have got some tag team partners with me today. We're talking fire. So introduce yourself, chaps. Hi, I'm Dan Jackson, aka Danzy Engineer. And my other tag team partner is... Hello, I'm Ryan Dempsey. Lads, we have a new guest host with us today. Um, sir, could you please introduce yourself to everybody? Yeah, I'm Tom Brooks, and I'm uh, the chairman of the Fire and Security Association, which is a uh, sub-part of the Electrical Contractors Association, and we deal with everything fire and security to do with the standards. Uh, I also have, have my own fire company, and I work pretty much most days out in the field. Okay, so uh, just before we get into the world of fire, as you can probably tell, um, we had uh, Will from the FIA on the other day. Um, that was in interesting and insightful. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background. Yeah, so I uh, started my career as a fire engineer with uh, Chubb for my sins. Um, so I was with Chubb Fire for 10 years um, before buying Linden Fire Services, which was only a little company when I bought it, turning over about 30 grand a year. We now turn over just under a million pound a year. Um, and we're probably the largest fire protection, privately owned fire protection company in Lincolnshire. Nice. Um, I sit on numerous British standard committees for um, various trade associations. Um, previously, I was the chairman of the uh, British Fire Consortium, which is a, a, a trade body that um, has small to medium fire companies in it, up to maybe 10, 15 employees. Um, I sat on a lot, quite a few standards for those um, and then moved over to the Fire and Security Association, which I was already on their technical committee but they asked me to go on as vice chair and then chairman of that. So I do a lot of work for them. I was technical advisor for City and Guilds for a while on their MVQ 3 for the 1853 MVQ. Um, I've been on the working groups for the FIA at various times. Um, so, yeah, I've pretty much got about 28 years experience. I sit on quite a few of the writing committees for British standards, including some of the European ones, but I don't to tell you i know every standard inside out have, have you ever have you ever been tempted to just write in one of these standard nobody is reading this and i can prove it and see how far it gets <laughs> yeah. now you tell you what you joke about that but i seen a guy on linkedin the other day who has created a book right and it's slightly off piece but uh, sorry tom to jump in but the guy has created a book for amazon and it's called the contrepreneur's guide and oh, the entrepreneur's that. guide. The guy wrote a book. It's eighty odd pages long, and he wrote nothing in all eighty odd pages, and it became yeah. a number one bestseller on Amazon. Nothing. nothing. It was an empty book. It just had a cover, and he got it to become a number one bestseller on Amazon. And he did it just to prove that Amazon don't check the content of the books that they publish. Wow. And honestly, for unbelievable. So yeah, you probably could write in a standard, and it would be it would it would be myth. So, so Tom, your CV is looking pretty long. <laughs> like you've just you've just yeah, listed a lot of there. 
seasoned, I think is the term. <laughs> seasoned. <laughs> so, um, so Tom, tell us a bit more about the FSA. So, obviously, they're a, a division of the ECA. Obviously, there's a lot of electricians listening to this. We all know who the ECA are. Um, so tell us more about the FSA, what they do. And... Yeah, so as you're probably aware, the ECA started in I don't know, 1901 or something like that. And it was going for, for a long time. Um, and in the early 70s, uh, the ECA realised that a lot of the electricians were doing security and fire work. So they started looking at having sort of specialist arms of the ECA at that point. Um, and in 87, they actually started up a, a security association within the ECA. Um, and I think I made a note somewhere, uh, 2007, they launched the Fire and Security Association, which is a specialist arm of uh, the ECA. Um, part of the ECA group, you've got uh, NIC, which was um, started 1956 or something like that. Um, so it, it's been going a long, long time, the ECA has. Um, in the past, it's had a lot of problems with being like an old boys club, but it has started moving in the right direction where it is modernising now, the ECA. But the FSA Never heard is... it called that before. Uh, <laughs> really? <laughs> in all fairness, I, I, I kind of... Me and Paul, we know the history. We've spent, although we spend a lot of time reading standards and stuff, we've we've been on these calls many times and we've we've listened, we've we've researched the history of the GIB and the ECA. And um, the the ECA is it has like that grandfather's rights within the industry, being being a brand that came in the 1900s, over a hundred year old organisation, almost commands respect. And and I think you're right. I think. Ten years ago, maybe five years ago, as as soon as five years ago, there was this aura of that network of of kind of a closed shop, and um, we've got our own Dan, who's a power player, who's kind of intertwined with the EC at the moment. So th it is opening its doors. We are we are we are starting to see a shift in how that organisation kind of operates, which is a fantastic thing. Um, the ECA historically were, you know, a little bit stuffy, and I've I've been involved with them for a long time, but. There's so much different now. They are modernising. It's a big ship to turn, but it is getting there, 100%. So, so Tom, if I was a uh, fire alarm company, for example, yep. what does the FSA offer me? Right, so um, parts of the committees that we deal with, we, we are on pretty much all the uh, British standards for fire, for security. Um, we deal with the Fire Chiefs Association, the Chief uh, uh, Police associations but you've also got all the other benefits that you get with the ECA membership um, one thing that no other trade association does that I really do like with the FSA and stroke ECA is the warranty scheme so just yeah. say we do a 20 grand job we can do a, a warranty certificate for our client that if my company goes bankrupt tomorrow and there's something wrong with it the ECA will pay for some way to fix that so, no, no, well, the trade association gives you that and that doesn't cost you anything as a member I didn't uh, even know that. I didn't know that either. I yeah. didn't know that at all. Yeah, uh, and that's with, with throughout the whole of the ECA. Um, you've got lots of other stuff, um, your employee relations, so you can ring up with the help desk there if you've got HR problems, and there's always a solicitor available for you to speak to. Um, health and safety advice, so that's all free. Well, I say free, it's not free, it's part of your membership. Um, so you've got all these other benefits, and a good one at the moment is the RAMs. So for all your risk assessments and your method statements, you just go online, type in what you want, and it's there. And if it's not there, you can actually speak to them and say, well, I need this. Um, so there's, there's lots and lots of stuff um, involved here. And, and in the grand scheme of things, it's not actually that expensive at all. 
Uh, All right. So, so before this podcast becomes a, a promotional podcast for the EU, <laughs> let me just let me ask let me ask a couple of questions. Um, in terms of the FSA, how do you become the chairman of the FSA? How does that happen? Uh, well, I've been on the committee for uh, since two thousand and nine, I think it was two thousand eight, um, and I'd, I'd represented the FSA for a long time on some of the committees. Um, Will Lloyd, who you, um, you had on the other day, I know Will really well. I've worked on uh, the FSA with Will quite a lot on a lot of committees. Um, I did notice he, he got his thing in the other day about the competency standard, where he, he got in. It's got to be current. Um, competency and both Will and I worked on that we had we had to push to get that whole competency clause in there because you'd be surprised how many of the other people on the committee didn't want to change it so just explain that Tom what do you mean the, the competency standard just so, uh, the clause in, in um, BS 5839 part one it's it's you've got to have relevant current training experience and the access to the requisite tools etc Okay. Was, in the 2002 version, it was really wishy-washy. So 2013, I got together with Will and we said, we, we want to improve this. And that's what we did. So I've, I've worked with Will no end of times on, on various parts of the standard. Although he's, he's gone over to the dark side a little bit, in my opinion. Because um, he's, he's with the FIA now. <laughs> um, but he'd, say, he'd probably say the same about me. There's um, clearly competition there then. Is, yeah. so, do you see this competition? Uh, no, not really. We will. I, I get on really well. We will because we are on the same page of trying to improve competency. To be fair, um, it, it, neither of us, you know, we, we're, we're trying to get the same place, the same goals. The the fire industry is small, very small. A lot of people know each other <laughs> and yeah. and come across each other. So um, I'm starting to find that the same with the executives in the electrical industry. <laughs> Oh yeah. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna chip in here. So one, um, Dan, if I do you want me taking you a step back, um, that wonderful trophy you held up, nobody could see it because it was blurred, um, because you've got oh, blurred sorry. background on. So for those listening, Dan held up his power player trophy, which was completely blurred. So that was a bit pointless. Um, for my own, for my own, um, uh, just sanity, really. I had never heard. Um, for me, I've always done fire, but for me. When I was doing it, it was just NIC, NIC, NIC. Um, obviously, the FIA, I've recently been introduced. I've heard of the F FSA from the ECA marketing, um, but I, I, I never knew. I, I was only assumed the FIA and the FSA are kind of like NIC or NAPIT or whatever. So two bodies working in the same industry, hopefully both working to improve standards and get things better and, and provide more education and support and, and all those good things. Um, I'm going to move well, on. Where, yeah, don't mind. If I could just chip in, Paul, where FSA is slightly different to the FIA. The FIA have more of a commercial arm to do with training and things like that, where they get a lot of income from that, whereas the FSA, it's all through membership fees, if that makes sense. Funnily enough, funnily enough, you, you, you beautifully lead on to my next point, um, training. Um, I, I'm, yeah, well, for me, okay, so I'm a client now. And um, as I said to Will on the podcast every week, my God, is it virtually impossible to find a decent fire contractor, fire alarm installer, maintainer, fire extinguisher, maintain, you name anything to do with fire. And it is just in so hard to find the passion, the competency, the drive to want to. I disagree, Paul. I disagree, Paul. Let me finish I, my I sentence. You. Let me finish my sentence. <laughs> 
with the exception of Dan Jackson and Dan Jackson, that was some premature. Others that I have <laughs> met and worked with over in London Underground, the what I like to call the militant fire brigade. Um, the fire engineers from London Underground were honestly, they would drag you out in the street and kick your head in if you dared um, go against fire safety uh, requirements. It was a wonderful time. What, what, what's your view on the, the current training? So if I wanted to, if I want to go back on the tools tomorrow, how the hell would I go about all this? So if I just sort of step back to where you're saying about engineers not being fit for Oh, yeah, please do, yeah, go on. My, my problem was, and I learned this way, Paul, I sat in, in front of a load of PowerPoint presentations, didn't touch anything. My first course, I didn't even know what sounder was. Nobody passed one round. A detector, I didn't know what it was. And a lot of the training is still like that. You need to get hands-on. And when guys come to me, I don't... What I tell them is, you're coming to me to learn how to do the job. You're not coming to me to learn how to pass the test. And all this stuff behind us um, in our training room, people actually wire that up. When so they come to you, me, they wire it just, in program. You've just, you've just reminded me to um, withdraw part of my statement because I never thought I'd ever say this. Forgive me, God. Um, so um, there is one electrical contractor in the country who are major fire alarm expertise, uh, a company called uh, Quinn's. I think they're Quinite. They used to be MJ Quinns. And um, if you go to their depots, virtually every single one of their depots is very similar to that blur behind you. So everywhere they have fire alarm panels, rigs, and they train, train, train. Any new equipment comes out, they have it, they build it, and they have all their men on night shift or day shift wiring, playing around with it, commissioning it within a safe, controlled, supervised zone. And that was the first time I saw how much investment they had put into fire alarms fire maintenance and that was why at one point i don't know if they still are they were the largest fire alarm installer and maintainer in london underground i mean they did everything period and the, the money they must have earned from it obviously paid for that development and competence and training and reskilling so that was kind of the only real positive experience i've seen of fire alarm companies committing to be the best because i i didn't know where to go and get training until I saw that MJ Quinn room. I was like, all right, do you train other contractors? And they were like, no, this is just for us. Yeah. I was like, all right. Just okay. out of interest with them, um, with the, when you talk about the 5839 with the competency standard that you've had built into that, yeah. would you just a, a kind of a total open question in the, in the electrical industry, we know it's, it's thrown about that there's two and a half, 250,000 electricians potentially in the, in the country, and they are varied in skill. They're, they're varied in what they can do. In terms of applying a, a new standard or a new statement in BS5839 Part 1 for fire alarms, commercial fire alarms, by implementing that into there, do you think you've created a statement that prevents... Or, or has an impact on the industry that there's not enough fire engineers now who can carry out the work in, in accordance with that standard, if that makes sense. Yeah, th there's, there's going to be a, a shortage of people uh, early days. But, I mean, this is, statement's been there since 2013. So ah, okay. people should have got red around it by now. Yeah. Uh, but my, where I see the, the big issues, and this goes back to what Paul's you know, said, all the decent companies I know do exactly what Paul said. They have rigs at their centres or their, um, you know, workshops or whatever, and the lads come in, and if they've got some particular problem, they'll set it up on whatever that system is and, and try and replicate it so they can learn how to fix it. Nice. 
Um, and it's just, nothing better than that. And just for those listening, um, not that I'm being sad or anything, but BS 5839 Part 1, Section 3.12, competent person is defined, which is a person with the relevant current training and experience and with access to the requisite tools, equipment and information and capable of carrying out a defined task. I really like that. A person relevant, current training and experience. So if you've got the training, you don't have the experience, you're not a competent person. Access to the right tools, equipment and information. So don't do it if you ain't got the info and you're capable of carrying it out. That's one of the better definitions I've seen of a competent person. I still always look at competent as having the skills, knowledge, training, experience for the specific task. But that's as good as it gets, as far as I'm concerned, from a British standard. Imagine if that was in the wine regulations. <laughs> Blimey. Um, anyway, sorry. We've actually got that as well, Paul, into uh, that's actually in the emergency lighting standard as well. We've got the same clause pretty much in there. It's in some yep. of the European stuff. You, you, but you, you're, you and me are the only people who've actually ever read 526, and all the others. Sit on that committee as well. The right. oh, do you really? Cool, yeah. blimey. Could you do me a favour and next time bring in some steel toe cap boots and give them a kick up the backside for <laughs> defining such low lux levels? Like the non-realistic, non-real world lux levels that they define. Sorry, it's a pet eight of mine. I've got a copy of it on the shelf and it just, it. I'm sorry, I'm going to swear, it boils my piss, that standard. Yeah. I am so sick to death with 5266 being so wishy-washy, lacklustre crap that the contractors argue, What's one lux point five? Yeah, that'll do. And you're thinking, you know what? You've kind of ruined the entire intent of having a decent evacuation system. You yeah. know, especially when you go, why don't we do low level and high level? To and no, 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 no. We'll do the minimum, mate. Let's go with photofluorescent. Let's go. With, no, Jesus, really? And yeah, and also then you you go to the eye cell stuff, and sometimes eye cell contradicts. But we're not talking about emergency lighting. That's another podcast for another day. Yeah. Sorry, it's not my specialty, though. I do. No, it's, I've I done. To... And I've yeah. I'm I'm the the industry. Yeah. And breathe, Paul. Calm. Sorry, emergency <laughs> lighting. I've been talking about it for many years at many a trade show, and it just it annoys me. So well, Tom, it's something I'll tell you about emergency lighting, Paul. That it's uh, a, a recent. I say recent. The last standard change. I actually asked the question to the chairman of the committee in the room, how many people have fitted on the emergency lighting in the last five years? And it was mm -hmm. just me with my hand up. Sounds about right. I think I'm, <laughs> but I'm not going to mention his name on this podcast. <laughs> Lovely old fellow that he is. Anyway, Tom, um, just out of interest, Tom, um, we, we, know you, um, we know you run Zeus training. So you, you actually provide training because we're, we're looking at a picture of you sat there in your training room with some rigs behind you for, that you do the training. How's COVID-19 impacted that? Have you had, has that had an impact? Yeah, we've, we could have gone online. A lot of people have done, but our ethos is to actually get people hands on. And like I said to you earlier, teach them how to do the job, not to pass a test. So We've basically backed off. We're hoping the government will start releasing it so we can um, start running the courses again, maybe June. Um, we've got enough room here where we can social distance people if they allow us to do that. So, What courses do you do? It's literally all fire alarm. So it's it's all based on 5839, but it's 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 all it's from start to finish. So we design, uh, install, maintain and commission. Uh, so the guys come to me, the bulk of them, and I'll, I'll probably surprise you all, the bulk who come to me are electricians. So that really fills me with faith and yeah. fills me with confidence and hope for the future that Sparks are doing it. Yeah, so that should be them leveling up their skills. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of the guys come to me and, and they want to do fire alarms. They want to be able to sign it off and um, 
So they'll come to me, we do a design, so we do two days of design, um, day of maintenance, a day of installation, and then commissioning. But they start, so the walls you can see behind me with the stuff on it, that will start with a bare wall with just a panel on it. And then over the week, that gets built up. Um, we start off on the non-addressable stuff, um, and then we move on to, on day five, onto the addressable stuff, where they'll wire that up with two different types of heads on it, two different panels, and then program it. So they, they get quite a bit of hands-on experience. So they, do they, they do anything like, oh, around like, the standard? Sorry? Do you do, I mean, I know you're doing the installs to the standard, but do you, do you like, because we do, we do like three-day 18th edition courses and stuff um, in electrics, which is pants, because three days to learn everything in that 700-page book is just a farce. Do you, do you guys do like just standard course? Because I'm, because I'm a manager now. If I turn around to my boss and say, oh, we've got a fire alarm course, the first thing he's going to say is, well, you're a manager, why do you need to go on it? Um, is is there any appreciation courses for the what's that? Wait on what? Ryan, I can't see what you're holding up to the screen. This is a podcast. Ryan, <laughs> Ryan, give up. Certificate, Ryan. That's my that's that's my Ryan, certificate. Blur, Ryan, you're on blur. Oh, Ryan, you're on okay, blur let, you. me, oh, let me let me unblur. Guys, if you're on blur, we can't see anything other than your outline. Anything else will confuse. Sorry for everyone listening in podcast world. Um, Ryan is l'incompetent. Um, <laughs> as the French would say. Um. Um, actually, I don't know French. Well, anybody who has any, uh, there we go, lot. So Ryan, you've got a qualification in. So you've done a okay, yeah, cool. Yes, five eight three nine part one two thousand seventeen. So we created this um, level three qualification um, so that people can prove they know the standard because it states you've got to be competent to that standard. If you can't recite where you can find all these bits out of the standard and, and work to that standard, how can you ever? fit a fire system properly yeah so, i'm i'm admit i'm guilty i my knowledge of this standard is is very limited and in, and in all fairness the only times i've looked at it in recent months is one with you now and two with will the other week um yeah. that's why we have a dan in this world who we just ring up and go dan dan this is a problem and dan goes yeah it's clause three point whatever yeah. just on so, it Back to your question about you know, could managers of buildings, etc., benefit from this? Absolutely, if they employ fire alarm engineers. Well, I'm thinking about responsible persons because I'm yeah. again. Forgive me. I'm going to switch on my rant mode now. Regulatory reform, order, fire safety. I'm going to say it out loud. Farce of a document. I don't care who in the fire industry disagrees with me. It is a watered down, risk based pile of rubbish, which people who have wanted to um, spend as little money as possible meeting that proposed risk-based duty of care it has ruined industry for years um and it is never and i've always said that the fire engineers should be leading a lot of the assessments the structural the civils a lot of things like believe it or not when i'm doing anything on a railway there are two things that are most important to me and that is fire safety and earthing and bonding because earthing and bonding the railway is really complex really technical and can, can be dangerous and fire safety is 101 because i need to evacuate passengers ensure my buildings don't burn down early detection etc etc it's amazing how many people under a reform order are like i've met so many responsible persons who've gone um yeah i'll get uh, i'll get a risk assessment done that's it yeah but yeah. you close that risk assessment oh no it's someone else's job i think i am um... When Tom asked me to come along and, and take the do the the qualification, I was bricking it. I was absolutely bricking it, and and I shouldn't have been because as 
uh, as kind of head of electrical services for Leeds City Council, one of my responsibilities was the management of all the fire alarms. It was the cyclical maintenance. It was the response of repairs um, the de the design and installation of new fire alarm systems. It was my team that signed it off. So I thought I was quite competent. And, and I realized once I got the document and I, I think I read it eight times in four days before I came to do the exam. Um, I was absolutely shitting my pants in case I failed it because obviously there's a lot of people who know E5. They know that we're, we we spend a lot of time reading and trying to understand things. And I didn't. The last thing I wanted was to fail it. And so when I read the document, I then realised that as a client, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't fully understand the structure of the document. Whereas if I did in my role as a client, I would have I would have probably been better at my job. And I found it interesting. And I'll never fit a fire alarm in my life. But I found it interesting from a client's perspective that I understood the, the different I, I, weird way of learning it, which we'll not go into. I have exp I've explained it on a vlog. Um, and I do know every single part of it now because of that stupid way that I did it. Um, but I did find it really helpful. I found it really useful. And it's, um, it's something that I'll keep for, for a long time. So. I haven't memorized it. I'll, I'll I'll fully acknowledge it. However, I do have a uh, access to an encyclopedic level of BS 999s and all the other suites of standards. I do know people who sit on some of those committees as well. I've spent enough years on railway respecting and listening and absorbing to the fire engineers and understanding the hierarchy of uh, standards from the building regulations through to 9999 through to quantitative assessments. I've worked on modeling projects where we've done actual uh, modeling of EVAC stuff, used software. So I've done enough. And years ago when I was on the tools, I did wire one pyro fire alarm system, um, but nobody likes pyro anymore, which is just dumb. Um, I, I, am I allowed to say I hate FP200? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I do. Maybe that should show me age, but mm. not a fan of FP. There's not many engineers do that now. I don't even think they teach that at college anymore. Uh, they do. They've they've brought it back, haven't they? The, um, they? Yeah, there they was a big to. there was, too much there was a big kickoff. There was a big kickoff that the the NOS and the the occupational standards on how you teach this trailblazer and um, and you teach electricians how to do certain things. And there's a there's a lady who's quite vocal within the apprenticeship, we'll, we'll not mention her name, but she's very kind of heavily involved with EC and the Trailblazer and, and anybody who knows, I will know who I'm talking about. And um, she kind of corrected us once and said, no, no, this stuff is still taught as part of the, uh, very briefly, it's not as in-depth as it was, but it is still taught. So back to your point on the uh, RRO then, Paul. The, yeah. Um, if you look at the Article 13, which is on, um, should they have a fire alarm or not? It's like somewhere on that bit that you can um, get a competent person in to do that risk assessment for you, or you should be competent. So the person doing that is failing in their duties if they do not do a competent risk assessment, which should include their fire system. But what, what I see a lot of the time, though, Tom, is that they get a fire risk assessment done and the person doing a fire risk assessment isn't competent, even though they're a fire risk assessor. Yeah. <laughs> Bang on, bang on. I'm sorry. Stop everything. Dan has solved the biggest issue in the fire industry today. So many people who do fire risk assessments are using apps now, which basically have questions based on the outputs of the reform order. They haven't got a freaking clue what they're looking at. They don't make any sort of qualitative assessment. They can't get in somewhere. They just go, oh, I can't get in. I've recently had a fire, uh, fire risk assessment done. I had to send someone out with the fire risk assessor. And, the, and the, the, the requirement was, if you can't get into a room, 
kick the door in. That was the requirement. Kick the damn door in. There is. I am not accepting a fire risk assessment where it's lazy and you say, "Oh, I can't." If it's a if it's a fire door and you're damaging that. No, no. Listen, listen, listen. They had instructions. Kick the door in. If we have to replace the door, the door gets replaced. Not mucking around. We even covered third party tenants. The lot. Honest to God, the fire risk assessors on the looks on their faces like I. Anyway, I'm not going into that. But yeah, I, I, just trying to get people. To and the worst thing is the reform order is is uh, as a baseline document. Boo. But then you look at the government have pub. They've put together like 200 page documents for like uh, places of assembly, railway stuff, yeah. which is more detail, which is don't forget the railways run. Don't forget the trains keep coming on fire. Don't forget there's loads of shops. Don't forget the fire loading. You know, all this sort of stuff. Do you think anyone reads it? No. Yeah, <laughs> no. I mean on those documents, the um, the guidance books, I once had an argument with a, a quite a high up fire officer in Lincolnshire where I showed him in that book the, the government's guidance on the RRO, why they should have something, and he said, no, no, we don't have to look at that book. So in 2004, I went mm. to the Emirates Stadium that had just been built, and there was a free CPD session on this new thing called the Reform Order, and it was absolutely packed, mainly because everyone wanted to tour the Arsenal Stadium. Um and I remember every single person there, when the guy was explaining what the reform order was, honestly, it was just like this big kickoff. It was people were in the fire industry can be passionate and vocal and table banging. I love it. My first experience um, with of an old fire engineer in London Underground, Peter, I can't remember his surname, Peter. He literally, I walked into this meeting within five minutes. He's banging the table, swearing and cursing. I was like, I like you. I like you. You're arguing for something passionately. And, um, yeah, I always had this affinity for fire, but I've ne never declared myself competent to the level of some of the... I mean, I, I worked with Martin Weller of London Underground. That man is off the charts, fire, qualified, competent, sits on committees. I think he was on the he was the lead for the new RAL fire standard. But what, what I see regularly is you get a fire risk assessment yeah. and it's clearly inaccurate and Rubbish. the guidance isn't quite right because quite often it, it would say um it's a commercial area and it also it would be a category ld2 which is not right for the type of building and then someone just comes in and, and designs some random installation like it might be an ld2 system which it might be fine might not be fine depending and it just goes on from there so if the beginning is wrong everything else is wrong Dude, and I have in my past reviewing fire risk assessments seen fire risk assessments for buildings where you look at the building, you go, this is a railway station, not a high rise block of flats. Holy cow, how lazy have you actually been? I'm not joking. I've seen documents where they've literally explained it as a high rise building, high rise yeah. residential, and it's a freaking railway station. That's lazy. And I was I went on a, a passive fire protection, um, like I think it's like a three day course or something um i've got about two years ago now and most people in the room put their hand up to say they are fire risk assessors oh, my Jesus. god and most of them worked for social housing most of them it was frightening the things they were coming out with they didn't have a bloody clue about any fire behaviors about systems not a clue i could do some i could do a podcast which would probably cost me uh, lots of legal letters about fire and fire safety um it is an absolute shit show when well, it comes to who they to quote dave the people who are authorized into the industry a lot of them need to be authorized straight out the goddamn industry 
um, because there are too many examples. All building services managers, you, you see them, we speak to them at events and trade shows, and they'll show you photos of fire or emergency lighting breaches where you just go, how is this building allowed? And when we had one bloke talking to us recently, Ryan, you remember the one we were talking about at, um, at one of the um, elect shows, and he came up and he showed us an emergency evacuation stairwell and there was emergency mm -hmm. light, no emergency lighting, no nothing. And it, it literally had hundreds of old age pensioners in it and it wasn't fit for evacuation, wasn't fit in emergency lighting. And you're thinking 2020 post Grenfell for frig's sake. Honest to God, the, uh, I've got a poster. The truth is out there. You know, oh, my God, is the competence out there? That's what we need. So, Paul, you've just you've just fantastically brought us on to the bit that I'm really interested in um, in terms of the working groups from the Grenfell disaster that, that happened so many months ago. Now it feels like it feels like a lifetime ago uh, and it still feels like we're, we're fighting to improve something that I think all of yeah. common people know that needs to be fixed. Um, so, Tom, you are let's not go into me being. Um, invited to one meeting and then not being invited again. Um, it's a, it seems to be a common theme when you speak from your heart um, that people don't want to listen. But You mean speak from your heart with competence and experience? Yeah, unfortunately, How that's exactly that? what How I mean. Yeah. I, I mean, sitting in a room telling them, um, I believe my opinion is right because I've managed 119 high-rise buildings for the last 10 years, um, clearly didn't touch. Anyway, That we, we, we digress. Um, you sit on some of these committees, two of these committees for the Grenfell, um, the Hackett Building a Safer Future, or um, I forgot what other jazzy names they put in there. Uh, how have you felt that's gone? Do you think that that's been a, a worthy cause? Right. So working group two, which is the one you you was involved in for a brief period. Um, being honest and straight, and I'll, I'll say this to anybody's face there, it's been the worst working group I've ever been on. There's so many people I feel in that, that with ulterior motives of uh, other things, not necessarily trying to improve. Um, I can't say not improve it, but they've got their own these, mo motives of what they want. I'm sorry to say this, but these sort of people boil my... Uh, they should just be dragged out of the room and flung out. They should be given the option of the window to the stairs. So, so Paul, in, in, in the meeting, unfortunately, Tom wasn't at the meeting that I, the, the only meeting I attended. I missed it. I was good. He to. missed it. Um, <laughs> so in, in the meeting, there was about 30 people and it was, um, it was chaired by Build UK, I think is the company that, that chaired it. Who was, is Build yeah, UK it, made up of um, builders of tower blocks and contractors? I don't know what it is, but it's a very, very, okay. it's, it's a good company. It's a very big company. It, it has a lot of clout in the industry. But I stood up and I said to them, um, the you've handled this completely wrong everybody in this room has catered for their personal brands and then tried to develop something that intertwines with their personal brands that says i think that's the right thing to do but you should do it the other way around you should think about what's right to do and then try and intertwine your brands into what's right rather than put your brands it's, at the front it's the, the forefront way around. yeah the forefront should always be safety of people let's not kill people like always, so, you can, you can, you can make money out of that. But Sorry, Build UK is a representative organisation for the UK construction industry, bringing together clients, main contractors and trade associations. They have a vested interest. No, let's, there. yeah. They have a vested just, interest. Yeah, just take a few steps back, Paul. It's, okay. um, they're, they're, the, they're the chair of this this group. They, they do have influence, but they're chairing these groups. So it's not, let's... 
it, we could easily walk into a kind of a witch hunt in these, and and that's not the purpose of what we're trying to okay, achieve. Yeah, that was fair enough. I I think in terms of this group, and I, I just echoing what Tom's just said there, and and I totally agree. I think we we need to be more in a position where we seventy nine people died, and they didn't have to, and we should sit down and forget about every single brand that exists and say, what does good look like? And what yeah, what could we have done differently that would have prevented all of those people dying? Write that down on a piece of paper and then work out where all of those brands fit in. That's the direction you should do. But how do you know what good is? 79 people don't die. Yeah. They didn't, they, they didn't need to. See, I've got I've got another issue with the the whole tower block is, and I'm, I'm, I'm to my dying day I'll never agree with stay put policy. Yeah, I agree. Um, and if you can get me all the, the members of those families, um, their relatives, to tell me that stay put policy is the best policy, I'll agree with it. The, the, the biggest right. flaw the biggest flaw I see in tower blocks that I've worked in is fire compartmentation is <laughs> never how it should be. In any in any building I've worked in, yeah. it's there's always it's like swish cheese above the ceilings, and stay put is based on Perfect the compartments. Point. Yeah, and it's not; it never is, so it can't be. So therefore, you can't go. I'm going to stay put if there's a fire. I'm getting the hell out of there because. So, so Dan, you have to remember that the majority of high-rise buildings in the UK were built in the '60s. Yeah, and when these buildings were built in the '60s, they were built with. We had, um, we all know the old boys. They they were the competent ones. They the old construction. They did it right. They you had the clock of works who signed it off. You, yeah. When we talk about compartmentation and we talk about how buildings were built back then, you would have been a lot more confident. And oh, yeah. when when we see stay put policy, it is a historical or a Jurassic process that we've just adopted and adopted and adopted because it was the easiest opportunity it's the easiest it the option cheapest. it's it's the cheapest and it's the easiest what was not considered is some some genius will have sat down and said well, how long does it take for a fire engine to get to a fire well they're governed by 14 minutes or whatever it is i don't know what the time is and they say well if you've got the right compartmentation with a 30 minute or 60 minute burn then that's enough time for the fire service to get there, assess it, and to make a judgment on people coming out. So stay in your properties and save yourself from clogging up the stairs. Well, so that logic kind of works. A yeah. fire, fire, the fire service should be there in enough time to assess it and evacuate people if they need be. However, everybody stay in your property while the fire service do their job. Unfortunately, that shit doesn't happen. The properties don't have that compartmentation anymore. The the amount of times I've turned up to a high-rise building and I've walked in to the bin room to, because somebody's saying to me, oh, there's a, there's an awful smell in the bin room. Of course there is. You walk in and somebody's renewed a, a fire alarm system and they thought, we'll put the panel in the bin room because that's the easiest place to get access to. And they've drilled a 25 mil hole through into the corridor. And then you go into the corridor yeah. and there's an MIC cable goes all the way to the lift room and the lift doors are compartmented with a fire door here and a fire door here to the left and right. And then some geniuses thought, how the hell am I going to get that pyro through there? I'll tell you what, it's only wooden. I'll just drill through it. They drill through it. They drill through it. And then all of a sudden you've breached all of the compartments. So um, I think electricians, plumbers, um, anybody who runs services, aircon engineers need to understand and learn about fire behaviours 
throughout properties. It needs to be. Totally agree. You, you have to have an understanding because I've, I've one of the recommendations that's come out of working group two that going forward, anybody working in what they're calling in scope buildings at the moment, it was high rise residential and high risk buildings. It's now been called in scope so they can add other things into it, but they will be. Um, instigating that anybody working in these buildings must understand fire stopping, for instance, and damage of fire stopping, yeah. things like that. Is that, that like asbestos awareness? Is that the similar thing to? Would it be kind of a similar thing to that? I, um, I think it needs to be more stringent, really. Because I, I asbestos awareness is a lot of guys they do it. It's very simple, and they forget it the next I day. I think sparks need to be taught this when they're actually yeah. training. Um, fire because fire, I've worked when I was doing so I did um, when I was an apprentice I did some high-rise uh, buildings in Bethnal Green and this is in the days of the late 90s when plastic trunking was all the rage get your sub mains in a bit of plastic trunking no fire clips no nothing like that whack a big hole with an Albanian laborer through into the house put some new meter tails in it was just honestly looking back bodge 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 there was not one iota of compartmentation or anything else and having then worked on london underground to see the militancy and the, and i mean you guys have seen it i've i've sent you like a 180 page document just defining um compartmentation of a tray through a wall and if yeah. you didn't do it right and certify it you were shot you weren't getting your money you weren't getting your milestones um and sadly over the years london underground have just absolutely destroyed their fire engineering uh, capabilities and their strengths and their standards because that they got to a point where everything was so fire resilient on London Underground, they probably think they didn't need it anymore, which is wrong because it's like taking your foot off the pedal. So can I, um, seeing as I'm on this podcast and I need to stick to my standard controversial <laughs> Mr. Dempsey kind of mentality, um, I'm going to ask all three of you a question and I'll, I'll ask you, Paul, first. And I want your honest opinion on something You'll because it. it's because it's something that i we might have to edit this out um we might not but Sorry. i want your honest opinion um right now there is a big upheaval about cladding on the side of buildings yeah did did the cladding set on fire did the cladding cause the fire we didn't cause it did it uh, fire started in the flat and then spread and it yeah it the spread to the cladding so did the fire start in the cladding, Paul? No. no. Is that your answer? No. No, no. God, no. No, no. I was thinking so that was you, a trick question or something. No, it's, no, not, it's, it's not a trick question. It's not like someone so, put the cigarette bite out on the cladding. No. So when you go to Google and you Google Grenfell inquiry and stuff, why is it? Why is the only thing they're talking about the cladding on buildings around the country? Oh, it's a diversion. It's a diversionary tactic. Or, or the fact that, that it spread that and caused the major amount of deaths. That doesn't sound like media, does it? No. Well, in all fairness, if you want to go down that road, you can all, all, always look at the um, the companies that manufacture all the insulation and how they uh, did lots of shuffling of their assets and then decided to sell everything dirt cheap via B and Q of all the banned Celotex systems that they had. But there, hey, who was doing any checking after that? Hmm? So, Dan, what's your view on cladding? What's what's your you, is that the big thing? Is that the big thing we should be focusing on? It's not the big thing at all. It's one of the things. It's not can the I, big thing. Can I just quote the IET president, um, uh, Peter Bonifield, who who stood up at, at an event that I was at and he did his president's keynote speech. 
And he turned around and he said it more succinctly than anyone I've ever heard. He said, there's lots lots of the issues, lots of challenges going on in society, lots of tragedies, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, and hindsight being a wonderful thing. And then he said, I mean, who who would have thought wrapping a building in a flammable material would ever go wrong? In hindsight, what a dumb idea. And it's so true. Why Why would you? But we, me and you, Ryan, both know the construction, the supply chain industry, the due diligence that is not done on materials and products is criminal trying to get the engineering uh, uh, resource into projects. There's more project management and, and QSs and everything else than there are the engineers doing okay. the checks, taking the time. Okay, let me get to my point. Right, Tom, I apologise. You might get this. You, you, you are quite competent when it comes to electrical, so I think you might get this. Um, I would be more interested in the thousands of high-rise buildings that we have that were built in the 60s on understanding what the main infrastructure supply cables look like. Now, I know already in a, in a lot of authorities around where I live, not just one I worked for, but a lot of the ones around in this area are wired in pyro cable and they are wired into a BEMCO unit on the ground floor. And the size of the live conductor that feeds up the building is exactly the same size as the neutral conductor that feed that brings the power back down the building. And when that building was designed in the 60s, it catered for around about four, five kilowatt. Since then, we've got the introduction to all of these different kind of computers, more TVs, more sockets, more heaters, more plug-in heaters, kettles, cookers. So the demand now on people's properties is far greater than four kilowatt. It's somewhere in the region of 15, 16 kilowatt. That's a bigger fire risk than I think we should be addressing. Um, the main infrastructure supplies into high-rise buildings than, than the cladding wrapped around them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's horrible to talk about a tragedy like that. But the, you and I both know that when it happened, we were talking about the white goods. Um, lots of people say, well, Arc Fault potentially could have saved things. I, I genuinely think the construction industry in the UK is is shattered. I don't think it's beyond repair, but I think it's being led solely by cheap, cheap race to the bottom I know so many people in construction companies that literally, and, and let's be honest about it, guys who work in the construction industry know exactly what we're talking about. You go around the main contractors, you get burnt out, you leave, you move on. You get burnt out, you leave, you move on. You try and do your best. There's never enough resources. The management promoting competence up, all they, all they care about is I'm incentivized to hit a set of milestones and deliver a product. That's it. The amount, in I'm my career, I've had so many rounds of Sorry. What? They call it value engineering, Paul. Yeah, I, I normally <laughs> use the words "fuck off" when people say that to me. In all fairness, I'm 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 going to use the um, the c word here. Um, communication, I think, is the biggest well, one of the biggest factors here because fire safety isn't just one thing. It's it's so many different entwined services, if you like, that contribute. It's not just one thing. It's like Ryan saying um, people are concentrating on cladding. Well, that's one part of it like what literally one part of it electrical is another part of fire safety as well which a lot of people really seem to lack the understanding of well we know that um we know that uh, electrical and fire when it's we've always said this that the the introduction of all these new technologies to mitigate fires no there's not enough being done to mitigate the reduction in competence yeah but it's, I mean, manufacturers are mitigating poor competence, but also, and let's be honest about it, we, we've said this about arc fault detection. 
Arc fault detection, six to, uh, EN62606, that is written, the panel, by a white goods manufacturing panel. So they're writing a protection, uh, they've created a protection device standard to mitigate their own goddamn white goods. Even last week, we had another white goods recall. I don't understand why the white goods companies in this uh, country and all around the world are not hauled up in front of courts and told, explain yourself. Major manufacturers should not be beyond reproach. But they are. But politics. And that's why the minute a politician allows himself to be influenced by that, they should be either offered the window or the stairs. So, yeah, you're right. You're completely right. Just going back to, to Dan's point in terms of electrical being uh, one of the components of fire, I just want to come back to working group two um, yep. that Tom sits on. And, and I brought this up in that meeting that I attended that we needed to focus on everything rather than just the... The, the, the one thing we needed, they were talking about the competence. And, and when I looked at what they were defining, they were defining the competence of people who manage fire. They weren't talking about the competence of everything else. And I said, well, it's different. You can't put one standard that defines the competence of multiple types of, of engineers from different sectors. So I then obviously was not invited back to that. And subsequently, um, I leaked the document that they had produced and I pushed it on social media. Well I, then got, I then got a, a little bit of a threatening email telling me to remove it or, or shit would hit the fan. Um, so I did because it, it was a very legally worded email. Um, I, I then removed it. I then received an email saying that they, this company would really like to meet me and I'm going to read it verbatim because it is right in front of me right now. Ryan, when we meet... It would be good if you could set out your proposals on what competence within the electrical industry should look like beforehand to ensure that our meeting is extremely proactive. So the, the, the people in working group two, after kicking me out, then requested me to define what competence in the electrical sector should look like, yet working groups two have still developed a document that specifies what competence should look like and i've never done that i've never filled that out so i mean if i just sort of tell you what was recommended or was going through i mean it's a draft at the moment but it's it's going to be something like so the recommended going forward a third party certification for companies yeah it's not just fire companies we're talking electricians plumbers chippies whatever Level two or level three qualifications. Now, we were pushing for level three. I'm yeah. sorry, but level two is not worth a piss. Exactly. Level three, <laughs> level three, my mum could get level three, right? I know a guy, I'm sorry, I'm at fires. My next door neighbor used to work with me at EDF and he got a job. He was non electrical. He went and did a course and got a level three city and guilds like that. Level three. Is, is the absolute frigging minimum. And absolutely. for blokes who served their time doing a trade, we should be walking it every day of the week. So if they turn around going, level two's a minimum, what for? A frigging painter and decorator who's just been handed a pot on his way into the site? It's funny you should say fire. that. A, a, a lot of fire service engineers I've come across recently have been painter and decorators who have switched <laughs> trades. <laughs> Straight up. Done no courses. Just Sorry, but a level two is not worth a piss unless you're an apprentice. So it was more the construction trades that were going for level two. All the fire mm. trades and electric trades said level three is the minimum, but and they've sort of accepted that. Um, CPD refresher training for everybody, all trades that are working in these in-scope buildings. 
Um, and, they, and they've also got to have training on um, fire protection in buildings. Uh, what you do. So even if you're the sky engineer putting that, that cabling, you've got to have He won't care anyway because they're sky engineers. Yeah, but whoever it is. And the big sticking block that's come up on the recent uh, Working Group 2 meeting the other day, which I thought November had been decided, um, which is they've got to have some sort of registration of competence of people. And it's sort of been decided that the CSCS card, logoed card would be that register. <laughs> However, God. the meeting had changed and they're now looking at other things as well. So um, there was a bit of a kickoff in the meeting that, hang on a minute, we, 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 we're looking at that and now all of a sudden that's not there. Um, the guy from UCAS was quite adamant that um, after he had approached um, CSCS that they weren't interested. And I'm not sure who's saying the right story or not but there's going to be some more meetings to decide what this register of competence is going to be what's on that one so hang on i've solved the industry's problem here i want to introduce the urc card you are competent card that's about as worthful worth a uh, cscs i'm sorry but if, if we're going to seriously say yeah get a cscs card and that's good wrong it's a multiple choice test that is not enough to be proving and checking people's competence. No, but Ryan, you're looking very upset. They've, they've got to improve the cards. This, uh, they were saying there's got to be a register of something and they've got to improve it all. Now, whether we're thinking in the same box we always do register, who can make money out of stuff, trade bodies, qualificate. We're using all the same stuff to basically re reinventing the wheel. It's, I'm sorry, but uh, I'm not hearing anything. It's at the term. It's the terminology that's that being making used. The improvement. Unfortunately, it is the terminology. A, a, a register of competence. A, unfortunately, a CSS card is not that. A GIB card is not that. It's not a register of competence. It's a it's a it's a card that demonstrates that you have achieved something, and it, it presents your qualifications on the card. Yeah, yeah. It so, doesn't it doesn't generate competence. And so there's although we thought we we were moving forward with it, it looks like, to me like it's took three steps back. So. Uh, I think that's right. I like thing, the CPD Tom. thing and I like the fire thing. That's yeah, a good yeah. thing. Uh, CPD and fire training, yes, box tick. But if turning around and saying CS is is anything at all, I'm sorry it's not. Well, I'm I'm oh. going to take a positive from that that you've took three steps back because that means that somebody is considering an alternative, and that's a step forward in my in my books. It's whereas it's before it was right. that worries me because. When I questioned this at this, I mean, it was a virtual meeting like this is, and I questioned, well, what are we looking at? Nobody could come up with this magical. Ryan, if you, right, chaps, if you don't mind me saying this, if you're going to sit in a room and say, how do we help define competence? And someone says ECS or someone says CSES, you've got the wrong people in the room. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because it's, the entire industry, I'm sorry to say this, how many people sit, have to literally go, got a CSS card, yeah, annoying, have to pay for it doesn't do anything i know loads of people who've got it they're not competent at anything we're we're, we're just we're, this is about registers and card schemes and revenue flow this is not thinking out the box to as you said how to how do we not kill people yeah but at the same time when you've got a big wheel turning which is the industry and how it's going it to make a drastic change it yeah. is hard and costly it is but it's that industry made up of private profit-making organizations that have caused the wheels to come off and caused the car wrecks that we're we as individuals have to mop up mm. and that's the problem with our industry 
There is nothing new original. It's the same thing being repainted, rebranded, remarketed. Putting online. Isn't, yeah, there's just nothing new. Yeah. And I don't think they've got the capability because I, I genuinely think the people, who, as Ryan said, Ryan's worked in social housing. The people who live, walk the walk, talk the talk, live the talk, they're the ones who should be saying in our experience, these are the changes we need to make our lives better, social housing better, people's lives safer. And backed up by engineers, not by managers, not by card schemes or, 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 or regulatory bodies. So, okay, uh, answer this then. So we've got four Very of us on... I apologise. <laughs> we've got four of us um, on this podcast, right? And I believe everything we're saying is common sense. It's pretty common sense. Why can't a group of people like us influence the change? Why does that not happen? So I think, I think that's... <laughs> Are we getting into the realms of having a, a, a jumping into another witch hunt? But let's let's debate this anyway. Let, let's have a quick conversation about why, Dan, because the, the truth of the matter is exactly what we've just covered. If you have a series of brands whose executive teams and financial arms of those businesses have noticed that over the last five or ten years they've they've achieved a certain turnover, They're, they have had a certain number in black on the bottom of their accounts. And then all of a sudden, something like Grenfell happens and there is a drastic change in the way process or the way people are going to achieve something. So, for instance, let's do away with the GIB card because it, it didn't help with Grenfell, but it's we should think of something else. The GIB are going to send a representative, a representative into that meeting to tell you that that is the wrong thing to do. Now, they're not telling you that's the wrong thing to do because it's the wrong thing to do. They're telling you it because they don't want that black to turn red. Yeah. It yeah. is It is a... And we have to accept that. That's never going to change. Unfortunately, that is business. People will always try to implement their brands and their financial incentives into any process. We know that. That's what's wrong with the industry. I don't, I don't see... I don't... I, I don't know where this word witch hunt comes from because if we're honestly going to debate what's wrong with our industry, if if we can if we can't have an honest conversation, we might as well give up now. If 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 genuine industry bodies go, oh look, E five guys are witch hunting us. No, not, I, I, it's, it's a strong word. Having we're genuinely having an open debate that says if you want to go and defend your card scheme, fine, you have that right. But if you have been the gatekeepers. That haven't helped improve it and things keep going wrong your gatekeeping is wrong we will choose to thank you and move you along and that i think you've just hit the nail on the head in terms of gatekeeping because if you i i can't wait for the day somebody steps up inside housing or whoever a publication a media comes up and says the year before grenfell or the month before grenfell what process was in place to determine competence of those working in a property the month or, or now, as we sit here today, what process are we defining to define competence to work in high-rise buildings? And personally, the only difference is CPD and this fire, this understanding and knowledge of fire. That's the only difference that's been suggested. For me, I, I agree with the absolute level three, but I would make it all trades. Repetitive, repetitive fire safety, compartmentation, process training without a doubt yeah i absolutely completely agree with that um cpd yes consistent and constant um especially for high rise but i uh, it's like what we say though on other podcasts what dave says regulation 16 literacy at work rate it's about competency for the task 
Even even your I definition of that person. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's not just the AWR. This is about I am not competent to go and fit a fire alarm panel tomorrow. I would need to develop and be supervised and monitored until that person says he's fit to undertake the task without supervision. That is every so when people keep saying, Oh, well, I want to define competency this way or that way, we've got to acknowledge that an electrician, as we said in our last podcast, can't do goddamn everything. A commercial guy can't just go, a domestic guy can't go and do industrial without having a transition where he's monitored, supervised, does CPD, mm. and is assessed as able to work by himself on those systems of experience. He's not. And this is why these terms, set by the old boys' clubs, if you want to, these terms are dead. We need to so, seriously realize things are different now. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think if, if I had my own way and I was allowed to step back into the Grenfell inquiry and I was allowed to have my opinion, I'm going to have it here. I'm going to have it on this podcast. I would be asking for working group two to be disbanded and for the for the, the committee not to try and define one standard of competence for anyone working in. We, we should rely on each individual trades, each individual sectors to define their competence and then it's part of the Grenfell inquiry. We've, we've, um, Tom, correct me if I'm wrong. We've requested that there be a building safety manager. Uh, they, they're talking about a chartered, a chartered. Yeah, there's a few new roles. I don't know if I've written them down here. Um, no, I haven't today. But... It's, it's a safety manager. It's somebody who's safety yeah. manager. We should be focusing more on that individual. Um, not being chartered, it's a stupid request. There's too many high-rise buildings to have that many people chartered, so it's a, it's a ridiculous request. Yeah, um, it's stupid. That individual should be able to call upon the individual sectors for them to define what competence looks like working in high-rise. Yeah. We shouldn't have one standard. Right from the beginning of working group two, I said the group was too big and there was too many trades involved. I mean... Yeah. As a fire alarm engineer, what do I know about, I don't know, timber and building something or roofers or plumbers? Mm. I know nothing about what they do. But, let, Tom, but if you think about it, let me just let me run through a high-rise building. You've got telecoms, you've got satellite, you've got CCTV, you've got controlled entry, you've got soil stacks, you've got bin chutes, communal ventilation, aircon, you've got electrics, fire alarms, emergency lighting, you've got sprinkler systems, Life you protection. have lightning protection you have uh, core drilling you have diamond drilling you have uh, cleaners that all of these people need to have a level three there's too many people who can work in a high-rise building to have one group define absolutely yeah I, and i think when i said right at the beginning it was the worst group i've ever worked in that is part of the problem because yeah. there's, there's too many trades thinking their way is the way to do it. But you can't do that with a trade. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a shame. Too many cooks. Um, all right. Moving on from that, um, because I'm conscious of time. Um, I've got a couple of questions um, for you, uh, Tom. We generally ask this of most people now. Um, if you can, in as short as time as possible, um, what do you see are the good and bad? What's, what's the, the best and the worst of your trade that you see? your your part your sector your well, industry the good parts of it is there is some good standards some good regulations the bad parts of it people's interpretations of it that in my opinion is the yeah. worst um another slight issue i've got with it is people can sit on numerous training courses i'm not going to name names of uh, trade bodies 
but not one of them teaches uh, how you wire a building. Nobody says you've got to have the, the wiring regs and um, some sort of testing certification and installation um, testing of cabling. Um, when I get my um, part of my course, we do installation continuity testing, and, I, and it's no word of a lie. Apart from the sparks who are on the courses, the normal firearm engineers, and some of these guys have been in industry twenty years. And I get my multifunction testers out to do some insulation and continuity testing. And they think I've invented fire. Wow. They, and when I say to them, yeah, but every bit of cable you put in a building, you should do this. They're like, why? We've never done that. And that's that's damning in itself, to be perfectly frank. But, but we've never taught it. So, I mean, I'm in a minority of what we teach here. And that's uh, we, we do small groups as well. We, we don't have any more than 10 people on a, on a session. If you had three wishes for your trade sector industry what would they be to follow the standards and not just interpret them would be good yeah for all to be taught at, if they're going to do installation of fire systems to be actually taught proper cable work um i mean ending cables it, it, it's shocking sometimes you see that I, I only went to a job the other day to do a, a call out for uh, a care home where a particular company was not doing call outs and the interface that had been widened to looked like somebody chewed it with the teeth there was no glands on it no it, honestly it was they must have just banged holes in it so i will i will say i said in the last podcast that the state of cabling in general is is pants and yeah I, yeah it, it, there's a lot of fire and alarm installers out there that are just wrong and a lot yeah. so um insulation i would love Fire alarm engineers to be taught proper installation. Um, okay. What's your next wish? Uh, my last wish. Uh, I don't know. All poverty. <laughs> get get rid of COVID nineteen. <laughs> yeah. Get rid of COVID nineteen. He said. Well, Dan, have you got three wishes you had for the fire? Because I've never asked you on fire. You had three wishes for the Ooh. fire alarm industry. Now you put or me on two. the spot. Well, I, I asked this of Dave <clears throat> and John Ward, and they could only think of two between them for the electrical industry, and they were so good. We had four brilliant ideas for the electrical industry, in all fairness. Um, I think... And the I race think, to the bottom would be probably my third one, Paul. In the race yeah, the I think attitudes towards um, safety from directors of companies is in... We, of course, we've all got to make money, and, you know, of course we want the job opposed to other people, but... Um, I think the attitude towards us, like the focus needs to be fire safety. Let's stop people dying or buildings burning down. I would down. love contractors to come in and go, I want to do the best job you've ever seen. Yeah. And the money will follow. Yeah. Well, I, I agree. It does, if I'm honest. Um, mm. the, the other thing, I think training, there needs to be more to more restrictions on or training needs to be longer over a longer period of time because experience is more important than what you actually learn in a classroom. Yeah, time served. And and that's why I do like electricians doing fire because they've done their time installing cables. They understand the installation. They just then need to understand the design and then the commissioning and then the maintenance. So um, I think it needs to be stronger with training. And I, I'm pretty sure, obviously, you're a trainer, Tom. If the industry as a whole required longer training over a longer period of time and there was a you know there was money to be made in it of course it it, it would improve training because you'd have more people doing it um third wish oh I, th I think um 
I'd like more communication between different aspects of fire safety, far more. Um, and I want to add a fourth one, actually. Oh, you, well, yeah, why oh, not? You're oh, a host. Hey, oh, go greedy. I, go on. He's a host. He can do what he wants. I wish <laughs> every person who says they're a fire risk assessor to be competent. There you go. That's <gasps> what I wish. That's like a Christmas <laughs> present from Santa Claus, isn't it? I grant you competence. <laughs> On, on, on the risk assessors competence from working group four there's lots going on there to do with um actually developing qualifications for risk assessors i'm not I, too I involved think some of them need to be slung out and stopped it's what some sorry of them just need to be stopped yeah. they need to walk into a room and go just stop window or stairs because the some of the stuff that i have seen from fire risk assessors is absolute rubbish there's a anything massive with anything with tick boxes should should not be included I'll tell you what, I mean, if anybody's listening who who is a fire risk assessor who wants to come on to the podcast and talk about fire risk assessments, yeah, come by on, all means, please. come on. Come Recommend on somebody. <laughs> we'll, we'll get a good one. We'll get a good one. I'll be sitting again. Yeah, all right. Yeah, you'll, you know what you're doing. Um, but <laughs> do you know what? I might actually, yeah. All right. I, 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 need to, I need to show you guys some examples of just some rubbish. Um, but there you go. Um, right, Mr. Dempsey, come on. Last one wish, two wishes, three wishes. Okay, so um, I'll just have two, I think. Go for it. Um, my first wish is that I was would be allowed to um, swing my shoulders at an individual and not get put in jail. Um, <laughs> that's my first one. Go down a pub for that, mate. You um, can, but yeah, that, that individual won't be in the pub. Um, fair enough. My number two wish is is more to do with E5. I wish that the electrical industry and the standards industry would allow us as a group of very competent engineers um, access into the committees so that we can be um, a sounding board for the coalface spark because we represent something that those committees are clearly demonstrating they have lost 100% touch with. We I wish that we could before. sit. I the wish committee that we systems are broken and, and a lot of them have lost the pulse of the trade and the industry they're supposed to be supporting, enhancing, uh, updating. Um, you know me, JPL as a system is broken. I'll openly say that. I'm a chartered fellow at the IET, and I'll happily say that the JPL system is broken. Um, well, too funny mistakes. enough, Paul, yeah. funny enough, Paul, we're currently sat on a podcast with three fellows of the IET. And three I fellows think, of the I IET are saying Paul that the JPL agreed. system is broken. Yeah. Yes. Are you saying that, Dan? I agree. <laughs> thank you dan just for the record that was dan jackson f-i-e-t engtech f-i-e-t in fact um uh, ryan you're the least competent of us because i am the least you're still competent. not chartered yeah you're right yeah sorry i just wanted to give him that little dig while he's i'm uh, only a member of the iet i'm not a fellow of it so <laughs> so i don't worry don't worry we we, we we're still stunned that we're fellows they, that we actually got fellowships to be honest with you. We, we, we don't discriminate on don't worry <laughs> yeah indeed indeed it is though the thing i find with and i can't talk about jay because i don't know anything about it but the committees i'm on what i find quite sad and is they're often manufacturer led um where the installers or the maintainers opinion doesn't do you know what? I don't actually have a problem with manufacturers being on there as long as there's a balance and it's valid and what they're doing is enhancing the safety and the intent. But, that's, but that's they have to demonstrate it. So that's what I like about... Sorry, Paul, go on. We flew over to um, uh, Vienna to prove that, Eng um, to prove that um, uh, arc fault detection worked and we ended up getting more knowledge than half the people sitting on these committees. 
because we were cynical. We openly said we don't believe they work because of the evidence that was out there, American statistics. We went, we flew, and we realized. And the first thing we said, sitting in a factory in Austria, was how the hell do you explain this technology to an electrician who has spent nearly 20 years understanding what an RCD actually does? Now we've moved the goalpost and said, well, actually, the digital electronics can interfere with it. DC can interfere with it to certain levels. And now we're going, well, arc fault, series, parallel, la, 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 minimum two and a half amps. These are the new standards. It's taken generations to understand this stuff. And, and that's where the manufacturers are really bad at understanding the pulse of the sparks. So, so, it, so if committees were treated like the E5 podcast, nobody gets paid to come on here. Nobody, don't get me wrong, people come on here and we talk about what they do, but it's because they add value. We're not, we're not promoting them as such. It just yeah. happens that they bring value to the listeners. And it's a discussion in a, obviously not a room, we're on Skype. Um, and we all from different backgrounds and we just put input into something with a, a completely um, unbiased agenda. That's true. And, and the thing is, is I can openly say on this podcast that the work that you're doing for the FSA, I totally respect it. And it's fairly evident that you 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 have passion um, to ensure that the right things are done, the right things are said. The the FIA, the same with them. I respect them. The ECA, the NIC. But the trouble is, is all of these bodies also need to be able to sit there and go, yeah, we've messed this up. We actually contributed towards this problem. We did. We haven't helped solve it. We've made it worse. OK, how can we go and fix this? and not put our financial monies as the number one issue. Let's just do the right thing. And I, and I just don't, I think too many organizations are scared. They're scared of manufacturers. They're scared of the money that flies around our industry. I would rather enhance, use all the money in our industry that comes from Sparks to go back into Sparks, upskilling them. But not over 10, 15 years, over an intense period of time. Yeah, and you take every, away someone's every, bonus. You take away someone's bonus there, Paul. That's not going to happen. Yeah, I know. But at least, listen, I'm going to say it because at least, at least then when I do retire, I can say I've done everything I can to yeah. try and make people listen. And that's what these podcasts are. They're debates, they're technical things, they're thought pieces. We're not saying what we're saying is right. We'll happily debate, as, as Dan has said, a fire risk assessor coming on. <laughs> I'd love that. Um, I, don't, I don't think I'll be asking any of fire risk assessors who've worked with me over the last 10 years. Um, but who knows? Yes, let's do that. Anyway, chaps, this is a long one. This is a long one. It's been so a good one, thoughts, though. It's been a good one. Final thoughts, Mr. Jackson? Um, right, so I've got a quick final thought. Um, I'm just reading something from BS5839 Part 1. Do you want us um, to come back to you? No, no, no. Recommendation 37.2 uh, L. This is for electricians, fire alarm installers. Where cables, conduits, trunking or tray pass through floors, walls, partitions or ceilings, the surrounding hole should be made as small as recently practicable and made good with fire stopping materials that ensure that the fire resistance of the construction is not materially reduced. Spaces through which fire or smoke could spread should not be left around the cable, conduit, trunking or tray. It's a recommendation. You should be doing it. Recommendation L. 37.2. Yeah. It's a good recommendation. More people need to remember that. I'm going to try and memorise that one. 37.2, that's a good one. Um, Mr Dempsey, Captain uh, Hench, go for it. God, Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> no, I just, I have found this interesting. It's it's uh, it's something different for us, um, for me anyway, in terms of fire. And I have done the level three um, through Tom's company. 
I found it really good. Um, I think as we get towards the end, it'd be good if Tom just lets everybody know what his training company's called. So when we're at the end of COVID-19, any of my social housing uh, colleagues, friends who work within the in the industry, um, if you manage it or you have contractors, I'd strongly suggest you go on the course um, and take the exam and, and get a bit more knowledge on it. Um, I wish I had when I worked for Leeds City Council. It would have made me uh, a much better kind of, it would have made my understanding of the the, the the sector a lot better and, and it would have made my job a little bit easier and um, that's really something that I kind of wanted to get off on on this one so cool and lastly you could sir go for it Tom yeah so the, on the fire risk assessments we need they need improving um, one of the first fire risk assessors who went to prison was a guy I used to know used to work with a job a guy called John O'Rourke Jesus uh, and um, he did some risk assessments in two pubs in uh, Mansfield. Uh, I think one was the Dial Hotel and the other one was, uh, I don't know, uh, market, marketing or marketplace or something like that. But anyway, he did these risk assessments. He was a fire extinguisher engineer and both him and the hotel owner got eight months in prison for um, non-sufficient and suitable uh, fire risk assessments. So wow. the law is there to send these people to prison if they do it wrong. Um it should be used. Um, but I agree entirely with you, Paul. It needs updating. It needs to be less wishy-washy, that, that legislation. It's yeah. a very a very good... Uh, yeah, I've just Googled it, funnily enough. Eight months, went to prison. Wow. Uh, high-risk assessor could, under Articles 5-3, 5-4, become a person who, who has control of premises and liable to criminal proceedings if the high-risk assessment was not suitable sufficient. Oh, boy. I didn't know that before this. <laughs> so Paul, okay, just, me just a silver out, bullet. So just out of interest, um, if you're on Google for the for the benefit of everyone on here, this yes. is we're talking about fire risk assessments. Can you just type into Google for me how many electricians have been convicted under Part P? Oh, controversial. I already know the answer. I assume it's none then. Why are you making me bloody type it then? Um, part P punishment. It, right. it, it comes out of nap it. It says nap it. Nap it's a competent person scheme. So um, the, the answer is zero. Not one person since 2005. Mm, yeah. So if we've got fire risk assessors who are being punished and imprisoned for not doing their job right, and yet we've got an electrical industry that's been going since 1882, and before, from the first wiring regs, um, 2005 Part P came in, this big old, old singing, old dancing, and we've not had one yet. There's been prosecutions of fire alarm engineers doing uh, uh, poor workmanship. They've never been, not been imprisoned, but they have been fined. There's been a few of them. I think, I think our industry has no teeth. I think the Sparkies have make... been... Sparkies have been convicted. Um, you get convicted under. Yeah, there's loads. You, you, yeah, you, lots of lots of bad uh, installers and stuff. Thirteen months, uh, one guy, an unqualified electrician, but they get them on the qualification or the competency or the certification or health and safety at work Act Section three point two. Is it? I think it's the duty of care for uh, the thing in the work. I think that's the bit that they get them under. Yeah. You never get them under electricity at work, Rakes, because that's an umbrella underneath the health and safety at work. Yeah, you get it under health and safety at work act. Uh, yeah, they rarely prosecute under if if they can find a breach of secondary legislation, they'll nail you under the primary. Yeah, because which is, all that is is just a detailing of, of the intent of the primary. 
Um, yeah, okay. All right. Well, there you go. Um, so this has been a long one. Um, gents, thank you very much. Tom, um, lastly, where can we go and get your training? Yeah, so it's the company's called Zeus, which is double Z-E-U-S dot org dot UK. Okay, doke. Great. Um, gentlemen, thank you very much for that. Ryan, thank you. Dan, thank you. And until the next one, take care of yourself and each other. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Okay.